Welcome back. Happy Thursday, everyone. It's great to see you. Great to be here with you. Another week in the markets are almost in the books. Obviously, tomorrow we still have an open market. Uh, but it's been quite a dramatic one already. Just like last week, the S&P was down, started okay, uh, down 0.72%, and the NASDAQ down almost 2%. Um, you look at the kind of five-day view, it, the NASDAQ is still up quite a bit from two days ago on a two-day stack, but faded quite hard. So we are oscillating here. Um, if you kind of zoom out to these three-month view, it, you know we had a drawdown, we had a little recovery rally, and another kind of weakness in the market. Um, going over some just key macro, macro uh, numbers, we had a strong beat on U.S. initial jobless claims down uh, 38,000 to 184,000 last week, which is a fresh 50-year low. Um, so by all reports, it does look like we are now back near the pre-COVID levels, um, another factor supporting faster Fed tapers. And, you know, I think we all expect a Fed taper. And by taper, we mean uh, reducing asset purchases and reducing QE. Uh, the China's uh, PBOC raised the uh, FX reserve requirement ratio yesterday by 2% uh, to 9% from 7 before. Uh, so hopefully that was made to enhance uh, liquidity management for financial institutions and help curb uh, C CNH gains. Uh, the U.S. Uh, let's see, what else do I have? I have some notes here. Uh that's probably let's skip over that. Blah, 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 blah. Okay, so let's go over a few uh, kind of big news items. So one of the big ones coming out tonight or today is you know that China's Evergrande Group has officially been labeled a defaulter for the first time. Um, it's kind of the latest in the drama, uh, probably ending in a massive restructuring for the world's most indebted developer. And this is really important because not only is Evergrande a Chinese developer, it you know those those loans and and that debt is held uh, across the world. So Fitch cut Evergrande to uh, restricted default over its failure to make coupon payments this week. Uh, it's probably going to trigger a lot of cross defaults on the 19.2 billion of dollar debt. Um, you know bondholders obviously in this situation face grim prospects. Um, but so far, I don't think that anybody's expecting further financial contagion a la something to kick off something like a 2008. Um, that's neither, that is not expected by anybody that I've, I've read. Uh, you know, I think that was partly due to the default having been pretty widely expected and China's government scrambling to kind of cushion the blow. I think it'd be a bad look for, uh, China if, if they started contagion you know, a second contagion, if you will. Um, and uh, Beijing has made it clear to that it has no intention of bailing out the property empire, uh, which in total is $300 billion in debt. Uh, we also had more research into Omicron, Omicron uh, variant, and it's kind of starting to trickle in. Uh, the news hasn't been great. The mutation is 4.2 times more trans transmissible in its early stage than Delta, which if you will remember, Delta was much more transmissible than 
I guess would be the alpha, the original version of the the COVID, uh, the COVID virus. Um, but in the U.S., predictions of rising infections and hospitalizations as a result of Thanksgiving ga- gatherings seem to be correct, particularly in the Northeast, which you would imagine has the most uh, would be the first to get it right. New York being a major international hub. Um, and there, but they're also like on the good news is that there's evidence that booster shots are becoming a, a, a critical defense that a, the, the third booster shot may actually provide some sort of protection here. Uh, South Korea is seeing a surge of infections despite being one of the most vaccinated places in Asia. So it's, it goes to show you the two, the two do- first doses aren't really protecting us against Omicron. Omicron. Uh, but you know, we, you know, the, the hunch is that Omicron is less dangerous in terms of hospitalizations and severity than previous variations, variants. Uh, but you know, I think there, this is still up for dispute. I don't really know. I've been reading a couple of reports and headlines out of that. And, uh, yeah, we're going to enter a third year of COVID-19 here in the United States and around the globe, but here, at least here in the U S we're going to enter it with a pretty booming economy, right? Very tight labor market, which we just talked about. Um, and you know, I, I, I read kind of a Bloomberg report today about how retail sales are looking pretty strong, uh, slightly weaker, especially on a comp basis on the online sales, but we should have strong retail sales, uh, going into the holiday season, uh, lower gas prices and, you know, uh, though is, you know, bit being driven so far, especially compared to what's been recently happening due to kind of supply and labor crunches easing. And also the, uh, Biden administration releasing some reserves, uh, November inflation data comes out tomorrow. Not looking great, right? Inflation looks still elevated, still elevated. Uh, I want to show you a picture though. Uh, let's drag this over here. Let's let's pull this up. Uh, this is kind of the projections and ec- economists forecast for inflation numbers. Uh, and then this is obviously historical numbers. This is visually the CPI uh, growth. And, you know, I think the expectation is that inflation tapers to something like two and a half uh, by mid to, or sorry, the beginning t- to mid 2023. Now I think, right. The internet clearly doesn't believe that. I think the internet thinks like clown emoji, like those um, people who think that it's still transitory, et cetera, et cetera. Like I'm not a macroeconomist. Like my base case is that these people do it every day. I used to sit in the same building in the, as them. Like you got really smart people just whose sole job is to try to figure it out because it has implications for investment banks and, and, and clients, et cetera, private wealth clients. You know, I, you know, it, I have no reason not to believe them. I'm not a huge conspiracy theorist here. And I very much hope that inflation is only a kind of this weird snapback economy. There's a really tight labor market. Uh, 58% of, there was a poll recently, 58% of folks out there think that 
jobs are plentiful in their local area and only like 11% think that jobs aren't plentiful or jobs are hard to find. And that's like the, the most tight labor market kind of poll reading from this poll. Sorry, I'm not saying this right. That's the, the most tight reading that they've had from that poll since the poll's inception. So my base case is that, right, we're just in this weird time, right? We've had decades to globalized, globalize, and now we have one and a half years to deglobalize and one and a half years to uh, convince people to go back to work after months and months and months of enhanced unemployment benefits, uh, work remote environment, a general trend to work for yourself, not go back to a job you absolutely hate. Um, so that's that. What else is there? There's a lot of news out. Let's let's keep going. Uh, JP Morgan, Citigroup, and six other large banks allegedly might have information about billions of dollars looted from Libya by former dictator uh, Gaddafi. Uh, I don't know if some of you saw that news about Starbucks. Uh, there was a there's a, a specific area of Starbucks workers who are voting for union unionization. Let's pull up maybe the Coinbase. Uh, Sorry, Bitcoin chart. We have kind of five straight days of losses. We had a bit of a bit of strength. I guess we we really didn't, right? So ever since, over, I guess over the past month, we've been in a a Bitcoin and crypto bear month with a big drop off. You know, basically a week ago. But when you zoom out. You know, will we enter a new crypto winter? It was 68,000 the top. That will be a big question. I lean towards no, but who am I to really predict the, the volatility of Bitcoin? Uh, let's see. That was basically most of the news items I wanted to, to really cover. Uh, but the big one today... I wanted to, to go over is that Elon Musk's sorry Elon Musk and other billionaires and leaders are selling stock at historical levels as the market quote unquote soars and tax changes loom. So that is the something I wanted to, to go over. But before we go over it, I'm gonna I I've been kind of slacking on it lately, but don't forget to support our sponsors who make this all these free streams possible. Uh, Fundrise, which is my favorite way to invest in real estate uh, without having to be an, an actual landlord and without having to wade through the confusing and realistically low yield world of REITs, public REITs. You know, that's it's basically like a real estate private equity firm working for you and uh, you get exposure to real estate, which I think is is critical for any portfolio. Um, and as someone who has had to be a landlord to like 15 rental units, a single family rental units in Nashville, Tennessee, I'll tell you, it's a lot of work. And so don't let, like, I think real estate can, can deliver great returns. I think that's getting tougher and tougher over time, especially as institutional investors come down to the, uh, mom and pop market. And so if you're good at it, definitely go try your hand at it and, and invest in, in tangible real estate yourself. But if you don't want to do that and you value your time and don't want to be fixing someone's toilet on a Saturday, uh, I think it's that's like my favorite option. Um, and then also sponsored by BlockFi. Uh, 
So BlockFi, I have over, I have like 50 grand in BlockFi um, and just leave it there. And I've already made over like a thousand dollars in, in interest. And you know, they've their rates, let's just look up their rates, crypto interest rates. They, they increase their rates. You know, you see them Voyager and all these other ones like kind of going up and down together. Um, and uh, they're, their Bitcoin tier, it's always the lowest, like their crypto tiers are always the lowest. So if you really want to like maximize your yields and in, in, in crypto native assets, you'll probably get the best going straight to DeFi. But like an, one way that I like to do things here is uh, is on just straight US dollar tokens, to stable coins. So if you are going to own dollars, they're paying like eight to 9% yield on your cash. So, and you know, Custodies by Gemini. So I think it's a really good, I mean, eight to 9% is nothing to poo-hoo at, especially if you were going to keep it in cash anyway. All righty. Um, yeah. So, oh yeah. Links in the description. So fundrise.com slash a couple cents and blockfi.com, I think slash a couple cents. Everything's in the description. So go check that out if you're interested. And uh, one thing, another, another uh, news item that I wanted to cover was that new bank went public today. And the stock opened 25% above IPO price. They went public at nine bucks a share. If you kind of look at it today, they're down 10 bucks a share. Again, price discovery. And uh, so they're at like 10.33. And if you want to see what we think, uh, we wrote about Nubank earlier in the week. And ROIC members, uh, definitely sign up for ROIC if you're interested at all about investing. We put out at least four write-ups a week and research and community, everything in the kitchen sink for just to uh, keep the lights on for us price. And so we wrote about New Bank earlier in the week in December 7th. So you can read about the valuation and what we think about the company there. We wrote about PagerDuty. Uh, we wrote about HashiCorp. And then our number one big board position had an investor day this, uh, this week and rallied quite hard. And in the market, that was weak today, it was strong. It's been the savior of our portfolio, if I'm gonna be honest, and the number one position of on the Roic big board, and a, and a sizable one on the Roic compound report as well. So definitely read into that. Um, again, we, we look at all the stocks we can. So sign up for Roic if you aren't already, and thank you for if you're a Roic member already. Uh, and we'll, we'll go over that stock more in the Roic only stream, which we always do after these. Awesome. Okay. Okay, let's go. Do we want to talk about the billionaires selling? Yes, thank you. It's Grace's uh, job to keep me on track. This is very. This is all very ADD. Well, you, I'm very ADD, so it's hard for an ADD person to keep you on track. I'm very ADD too. <laughs> oh, you are? I mean, I, I'm very scatterbrained, I think, like just generally. I mean, we have, I don't know if you, how much you guys can see on this camera. We have like two cameras. We've got... All the gear that she has, we have your laptop, we have a screen here, we have a screen here, we have a screen here, and then the chat. It's kind of crazy. Um, okay, let's talk about this. Let's go over this article, and I just want to ask you all in the chat some questions. Uh, the first question is, why haven't you liked this video yet? That's the only thing I asked for. So, That's a great question. You know, if you're here and we ever have ever provided you value, don't forget to hit that like button. It really helps us with the algorithm. Thank you so much. Thank you, thank you. Okay, so let's go over this article. 
Um, company founders and leaders are unloading their stocks at historical levels with some selling shares in their businesses for the first time in years amid soaring market valuations and ahead of possible changes in the U.S. and some state tax laws. So far this year, 48 top executives have collected more than $200 million each from stock sales, nearly four times the average number of insiders from 2016 to 2020. So that means four times the number of, of insiders are selling this year than in the previous four years combined. I believe that's how I'm reading it. I think combined, but it's a little bit vague here. Uh, the wave has included super sellers such as cosmetics billionaire uh, Ronald Lauder and Google co-founders Larry Page and Sergey Brin, who have sold shares for the first time in four years or more as the econ economic recovery fueled strong growth in sales and profit. Um, others include the Walton family with Walmart, Mark Zuckerberg with Facebook or Meta, uh, accelerating their uh, their stock sales. Uh, this is just the oh, this is the the like visual chart for those of you watching on YouTube. The amount of sales in 2021 compared to 2020, you know, I think it is correlated to how well the market in general has done over the past couple of years. Uh, let's see. Insiders have a long history of selling at peaks and buying in troughs. They have relatively good insider information, and they're not like you and me. They sit on the board, talk about valuation. They know their own businesses better than anybody else will. Um, let's see. Executives aren't required to say why they sold, and few do. The heaviest, heaviest selling came as lawmakers in Washington hashed out potential tax increases as part of the Democrats' Build Back Better legislative package, at times considering raising the long-term cap gains tax rate. In November, insiders unloaded a collective $15.6 billion. I tweeted earlier about how Satya Nadella sold half of his Microsoft stock. He's worth like half a billion dollars in Microsoft stock, and he sold half ahead of Washington State passing. Starting Jan 1, if you live in Washington State, they're going to tax you an additional 7% long-term cap gains tax over a quarter million in cap gains. Um, so those who don't think that taxing affects behavior, it's very, very clear taxing affects behavior. I don't like, you know, there's stripping out like moral rules and laws aside. I think of things as, economic incentives, right? That's the lens I see the world. And like, there's a, there's a reason why effectively the government killing tobacco usage, like smoking and cigarettes included like taxes and tariffs, et cetera. Right. Because if you really truly want to get to the bottom of an outcome or deal with an outcome, you have to correctly align the economic incentives um, because the whole basis of capitalism is uh, everyone acting up upon their own financial interest and that not being amoral, that being actually just like the way that the world works. And as a, as a, as a country or as, as, as municipalities, you have to really keep that in mind. And you have to keep that in mind as it pertains to other municipalities. So on Unpopular Opinions this week, uh, we had... Um, a really, really great guest who's a, a really uh, renowned, here I'll show this, renowned um, expert on international tax law, a uh, Professor Aviona, 
And he was saying that uh, it didn't really make sense the way that Elon Musk couched why he was selling his Tesla stock because it didn't really make any sense. So I th- so go watch that if you're kind of more interested in, in that. He, we had a nice 30 minutes with the professor. Tom Nash brought him in. is really cool. Um, let's go over the rest of this article. Um, Elon Musk considered the world's richest person with a net worth of $270 billion ridiculed a proposed tax on billionaires, unrealized cap gains tax or gain, cap gains uh, saying that eventually the government runs out of other people's money and then they come for you. I don't necessarily disagree with that. He has moved to sell more than 10 billion in Tesla stock over about a month, including roughly 4 billion to cover tax withholding on option exercises. Now, Professor Avi Jonas was saying that if he exercised the options, he could sell. Like, I think what he was getting at was it didn't make complete sense because Musk could sell. He could exercise the options and then sell some of the shares that he now owns to pay for the tax. But I mean, so I don't think we'll ever really know exactly why Musk is selling like $10 billion of stock. I know, I do know he's a very strange guy and you can't just point at him and say, you're greedy because the guy is like clear, like you see his weight fluctuate. Um, I'm no stranger to that. You see his weight fluctuate quite a bit and he sleeps under his desk. He's gotten multiple divorces. Uh, he, he is the CEO of two companies, which essentially is like, you know, Tesla is at least two companies with solar city and Tesla. He, oh, and then also SpaceX, just for those of you, um, that forgot. And he also like lives in a, a modular home. He like sold all of his earthly possessions. So I'm not sure if you can like levy the, um, levy the, the accusation of, of your being greedy to him. I think it's just really interesting. I, I would be very curious to be a fly in the wall of like, why is he doing that? So definitely, I know I, in JMK saying he ran a Twitter poll, I agree, but I don't think that he would run the Twitter poll. Let's pull up the Twitter poll. Elon Musk, Twitter poll, selling stock. Let's see. And then there's all these news headlines saying it's a sham. See. Okay, so pulling up this poll. Much is made lately of unrealized gains being a means of tax avoidance, so I propose selling 10% of my Tesla stock. Do you support this? And he got a yes. I don't necessarily think, like, I've run polls before, and there is a bias to whatever's first gets clicked the most. But I also think that, I think he knows his crowd. And also, I think the, other side of it is the unrealized taxes tax proposal hasn't gone through i don't believe so why would you sell stock if this isn't a law yet so i don't really know i just think it's really interesting and so i think his case is just a little different let's go back to the article but yeah we talked about satya nadella Uh, the journal examined data on companies, company leaders' stock transactions through December 3rd, drawing, drawn from regulatory filings. Sales marked as made solely to satisfy tax withholding requirements were excluded. 
About a dozen high-profile founders and CEOs sold millions of dollars in company shares this year after selling none at all in 2020. Uh, let's see. Sir, uh, Larry Page and Sergey Brin last sold stock in Google or Alphabet at 800, 800 bucks a share in 2017. And they returned to the market in May, selling shares at 2200 And they sold about $1.5 billion before taxes. But each still own 6% of Alphabet. Uh, let's see. Michael Dell and Carlisle Group's David Rubenstein also came off the sidelines. Uh, Michael Dell sold 5 million shares for a quarter billion. And Rubenstein sold 11 million shares for half a, half a billion. Wish I could be them, huh? Um, Zuckerberg. Uh, oh, increased the number of meta shares he sold by seven times from last year, collecting $4.5 billion before taxes. I wonder if he's going to buy more Hawaiian islands. I don't know. I don't know what you do that. Um, I, again, at a certain point, you do want to diversify. Like, I think Satya Nadell is not a billionaire. I think the vast majority of his net worth was that half a billion in Microsoft stock. So I think that makes a lot more sense for Satya to sell his stock because when you're that rich, like existentially, you just want to like selling half, taking half off the table and giving it to a family office to just like diversify between stocks and bonds and real estate and art, like all that stuff is really, really important. But again, like I think Zuck already has a lot of cash not in Facebook. So it's just interesting to see all these billionaires um, selling. Snap Inc. CEO Evan Spiegel set a price target to sell between 60 and 80, receiving a total of 710 million before taxes on 10 million shares, more than doubling his 2020 proceeds despite selling 3 million fewer shares. And uh, Bezos typically sells about 10 billion in stock annually to help fund Blue Origin. So put it in the chat. I want to know. Uh, Grace will be monitoring the chat. Let me know if you think this is a bearish sign for the market. I think when you listen to like something like the All In podcast, which and and Chamath is a billionaire too, he 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 justifies that he sold a bunch of his own specs. Let's be clear. Uh, <laughs> I won't get into that. Uh, but he sold his own specs, but also just stocks in general, because he he kept he repeated it on the podcast. If all the smart money is selling, I'm gonna I'm gonna take money off. I'm gonna take chips off the table. So I'm wondering what you all think. Is this a bearish sign or is this just a people just taking money off the table, profit taking, so to speak? On the other hand, I heard from a, uh, I heard from a JP Morgan podcast that the smart or the, the quote unquote dumb money or something, whatever, retail investors, which I don't, I, that's me too. So I don't I mean, I don't like that term, but retail investors sentiment has never been lower for the past two years. So we're at an all time low, obviously when we're getting smacked in the face with DocuSign and all these retail oriented names getting smacked in the face by 40% plus from the peak that, you know, Peloton, Zillow, like et cetera, then, you know, it makes sense why retail investor sentiment is at all time lows. But on the other hand, and then they're saying that, that, hedge fund and institutional fund sentiment is now at all-time highs or for the past couple of years. So it's at high. So, so I don't know. Billionaires are selling, but institutional managers are sort of 
liking today's market and retail investors are not liking today's market and are by anecdotal accounts dropping out of the market. Um, so cool. Yes, I agree. Holly, if you think uh, he has, Holly has a really great, uh, point. If you put one in the chat, if you're bear, if you think this is a bullish sign, bear, sorry, one in the chat, if you think billionaire selling is actually, I'm going to change the question. Put one in the chat. If you're net bullish on the market over the next three months, put two in the chat. If you're bearish on the markets over the next three months and put three, if you think we trade sideways. I'm just curious. So one uh, bullish, two bearish, three flat. What does the market do over the next three months? And by market, let's define it as the NASDAQ because most of you really like growth stocks. Sorry, that was a little unclear. Thanks for the idea, Holly. Okay, so we got a lot of ones. Yeah, a lot of ones, a lot of bearish. A few, Actually, a lot of threes so far. We got some twos coming out. Everybody, see, it actually seems to be pretty evenly split. Mm -hmm. raccoon bar says 69 <laughs> you know that's the best outcome if we could compound our annual returns at 69 percent, i think i'd be happy <laughs> yeah big mix lots of twos and threes in there as well awesome big mix wow the market is confusing so what are what are your thoughts i'm flat to bullish flat to bullish but again, I don't know. I don't know. I also think like I'm I'm trying my best to diversify the big board to value. So I'm I'm very much gonna just hole up and things are gonna be fifty percent undervalued on a DCF basis. And man, I bought a lot of Bitcoin at the previous top and I've still made a lot of money. So you know, and it didn't feel good losing like seventy percent. So just remember, like unrealized gains and losses are just that. They're unrealized. If you own that piece of farmland, if you own that, if you if you are happy with your purchase at the valuation that you are, then just just remember that. Um cool. Okay. All right. Now what do we do? We're at 30 minutes. So why don't we take some voicemail questions? Okay. Let's do it. Hey, Justin, how you doing? I had a question uh, about a couple of stocks I was discussing with some of my colleagues in my office. Um, we're looking at Stryker or um, Intuitive Surgical. Uh, we're thinking maybe something in the medical field um, would be a good play right now. I think Stryker has a better valuation. I really like it, um, ISRG's growth. Uh, Stryker is a little more steady, and I think I believe it gives a uh, dividend yield as well. I was wondering what you thought of those stocks in this kind of climate. Thanks, Justin. Yeah, of course. Uh, I think like, yeah, U.S. focused uh, healthcare is, is always pretty defensible. Everybody needs healthcare, right? It's a non-discretionary spend for all of us. If I break my leg, it's not like I'm in a recession. I'm not going to like go get a cast for my leg. Uh, just to take a look, Striker, for those of you that don't know what Striker does, Striker. It's probably one of the cooler names for a company. Striker. It's a global company, so maybe it isn't just US focused, but let's just say the US homepage. 
medical and surgical equipment, orthopedic, neurotechnology, lots of equipment like DME and equipment. Uh, there are $108 billion market cap, or sorry, enterprise value, $100 billion market cap uh, with, call it 17, 18 billion in annual revenues, strong 65% gross mar margins, 29% EBITDA margins, and trading at like 20 times forward EBITDA. Uh, expected with, like, again, it's going to be kind of that whatever grower, like mid-teens grower. So call it inflation plus 3% kind of grower with very, very, with a lot of durability in their revenues. So as I back up, 20 times EBITDA is about the same valuation that you'd buy in it something like a Microsoft, which has better contribution margins, higher growth potential, but probably less durable. If I have a hunch, I had a hunch, I haven't really thought about this, probably less durable revenue. Uh, people probably do cancel, well, a third of their company is personal computer computing and a third of the company is is like uh, like retail oriented. So even like micro, uh, Xbox is embedded in there. So I think Stryker is going to be a more defensible play than a Microsoft uh, with less upside. My, I do not think that we're going into a recession unless we have an exogenous shock to the system. So that's why I prefer the FANG... I don't own Facebook, but like the, the generally the FEMG, the FEMG that are trading at like 20 to 22 times EBITDA, same valuation, because I'm not necessarily trying to be super defensive because I don't think we are going into some uh, bust or recessionary period where I'm worried about the durability of cash flows. So I'd rather pick the growth upside than the durability, but I don't think you're off. Like I think if you're just kind of generally don't want or you're kind of concerned about it then striker's probably a pretty good one I'm, they're probably a dividend yield of one percent i don't know like there isn't a ton that makes me love the stock but it's gonna serve you really well in a recession or in a scary period of time uh intuitive surgical i've never heard of this company so they develop manufacturing market da vinci surgical systems and ion and endoluminal systems uh so something to do with okay, intuitive surgical, robo-assisted surgery. That's pretty cool. Advancing what's possible in mini minimally invasive care. Maybe I need like shoulder surgery for my dislocated shoulder. It still hasn't healed. It's been like three months. I still can't raise my arm. Like, yeah, it's been it's pretty bad. Um, but. Yeah, this is really cool. I mean, I, the future of surgery probably is. I don't know. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a surgeon, so I, I wouldn't know. So I know we have a lot of doctors in the Roic community. So if you're listening to this, definitely put uh, in the comment or put it in the Roic portal uh, what what you think about intuitive sur surgical and like the Da Vinci surgery systems. I think that'd be really great. We actually have quite a bit of doctors in the Roic community. I think it's really great. Um, but you're right, right? You're talking about a company that's trading at a much higher valuation. They're trading... They're trading at a valuation that's higher than Stryker. $117 billion valuation, which represents like a 42 times forward EBITDA margin. 
So mid-teens growth expected, but I don't know what the coverage looks like here. Uh, somewhat higher gross profit margins, but really high EBITDA margins. So 40, 45% EBITDA margins. So I think th this like intuitive surgical looks like it's priced to be the future, quote unquote, the future. But I just don't know. I don't know much about the adoption of that or the future growth rates. But it's not cheap. It's definitely not cheap. It's like 40 times EBITDA. Uh, Prosperity Trade was saying uh, Da Vinci was FDA approved in 2000. It was it's old. Yeah, it's interesting. Citizen D's. Oh, sorry, am I hopping into the chat? We have four more calls. Should we crank those out first? Yeah, let's take some more calls. Okay. And then we could get to the Hi, chat. Justin, longtime Rick member here. Thanks for all your hard work. We all really appreciate it. Thanks for being. I was wondering if you could take a look at Greif. Ticker is G E F. They produce industrial packaging in containers. The company just reported a solid quarter, and they've been able to increase prices on all their products and pass it on to customers. Management is guiding for a solid EBITDA growth in 2022 as they continue to benefit from inflation. I would love to hear your thoughts on this. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for the call, man. I uh, really appreciate you being a Rook member. really helps us create the content. Um, Company operates three business segments, global industrial packaging, paper and packaging services, land management. So real, <clears throat> real industrial type of company. Let's look at the website. Not grief, grief. A manufacturer of industrial packaging. Going to be needed, right? Super low margins, a little bit more commoditized of a thing. So it should probably, like, when I was... In leverage finance, like I would probably say this thing probably needs like the valuation maximum like seven times EBITDA, but I don't really know much about Greif. So let's look. Excuse me. I had to take a drink of water. <clears throat> they are trading at, oh, huh. I guess I remember uh, Lev Finn multiples from a decade ago. They're trading at <clears throat> six and a half times EBITDA. And seven and a half to eight times EBITDA minus CapEx. So that's like an estimation finger in the wind of free cash flow. So like they're not great businesses. Uh, they're not super durable, right? Because paper and packaging for products is gonna go down in a, in a recession conceptually. And so it's gonna follow how strong the economy is. It's not gonna have a ton of pricing power because like nobody here knows a strong brand and buys any product because, oh, they have really good packaging, right? So, so I think it's, they're probably deserved at that like six and a half, six to six and a half times EBITDA multiple, just finger in the wind. But again, that, that, that gives you like a 12 to 13% free cash flow yield. So the, 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 the thought process here, just like gut is it's probably fairly priced but you'll be compensated like a 13% or 12% free cash flow plus 2 to 4% commodity or sorry uh inflation return so call it like a, a low to mid teens return by holding the stock if as long as the economy holds up right as long as the economy holds up 
But as a, from an individual investor perspective, like, would I rather hold this stock or hold cash at 9%? The question is how scared of inflation. And so hold cash at 9% on BlockFi or hold Grife for um, low teens return with a 3% dividend. If you're scared of inflation, you probably want to hold Grife. I, I mean, this is just conceptual, guys. Nothing here is investment advice, right? If I were like super afraid of inflation, I would rather hold Grife because they would be able to pass on uh, inflationary pressures through, hopefully. Hopefully. I don't really know too much about paper and packaging. But, and and give you whatever, a mid or low teens return. But if I didn't really care too much about inflation and I just wanted the liquidity of having cash, I'd probably hold it in like BlockFi for 9%, right? So it's not, it's not, it doesn't seem to be undervalued. I don't think this is like the quality of business that could trade at 10 times EBITDA, but maybe. It depends on where you think the, the business cycle crashes in the future. Cool. Let's go to the next one. Hey, Justin, Roic member here. Uh, thanks for everything that you do. Been loving the content lately. Uh, congratulations to the team. Uh, so the late secular trends have kind of been towards renewable energy, um, but I know that Buffett has a big position in Chevron, and I'm, I'm wondering if you see any opportunities since the oil industry has kind of been beaten down, especially with the recent um, Omicron variant specifically kind of in the midstream section where they have more stable contracts um, for distribution. Um, looking at ticker ET, phone home, that's uh, energy transfer. Uh, they just acquired an additional midstream um, company, Enable Midstream, to increase their capabilities. Uh, they've got a big pipeline network throughout the, the center of the U.S., so I uh, would appreciate your look at, at – uh, them and kind of that's a, uh, an opportunity that we may see. Thanks, Justin. Yeah, I mean, I think that that was really insightful. I think you're on to something. I think there's a lot of money to be made here in energy. Um, and yeah, that makes a lot of sense, right? Like the you see the the companies that do really well in the in the like oil and gas industry. Like I think the the ones that are make it durable own like are pretty vertically integrated like a Chevron and own a bunch from um, from the, the pump all the way through like exploration through midstream and all that stuff. To be honest, I'm not like an energy analyst and energy's always been a little bit of a different thing. I think no matter what you do here, the only thing I can really add to what your hunch is here, because I see what you mean, right? Because Ticker ET, energy transfer, trading an $82 billion, $83 billion enterprise value valuation, which is, in, um, someone in the chat said, don't forget about depreciation. So I don't. So that's why we use EV over EBITDA minus CapEx to get to a, pro a proxy for cash flow. So it's trading at like an A times EV over EBITDA minus CapEx, which is, again, for those of you that are beginners, all you got to know is like, that's just our finger in the wind proxies for how much cash a business generates per year. Um, obviously, they 
like they're producing over a like an I guess eleven billion dollars in EBITDA, so cash flow a year. So conceptually, right uh, with leverage, Sentio is saying that there's like a twenty two percent free cash flow yield. So that means that every year you hold this thing, all things being equal. Uh, you should get a 22% return on your money. Now, that sounds too good to be true for a reason, right? It's because um, they own and operate a portfolio of energy assets in the U.S. Operates in, uh, operations include natural gas midstream, inter- interstate transportation, so they're nat- more nat gas, uh, interstate transportation and storage assets, crude oil, natural gas liquids, and refined product transportation uh, include interstate Transportation and storage, interstate transportation and storage, midstream, NGL, and refined products. Uh, investment in, they have investments in Sunoco. Okay, another, but a bunch of other things. So I'm just wondering, let's just do something really quick. I think this would be fun. So let's do price, stock price. Let's go ET, add series. And we'll go, we'll plot that against like oil. Uh, Fred Macro, maybe. Option oil. WTI oil prices. Yeah, let's do that. That's serious. I just wanted to see. Uh, there's a little bit of correlation. Maybe not. Like, I guess if you look at it over the last year, it's still trading a bit since August. Of, of of 2020 still kind of trading with oil but obviously has um company specific drivers very clearly so clearly it's cheap but i i do think you're gonna need like even in midstream i i'm pretty sure like the price of natural gas and the price of of like crude matters so I don't know what your view on oil prices are. And so I, I don't have a view on oil prices, but put it in the chat if you do. Um, Josh was saying ET is a, a MLP as well. Okay, so that's cool. Uh, wondering if you have any specific thoughts on the company and the ownership structure. Um, so I remember looking into MLPs a long time ago. It's um, a master limited partnership and a lot of ONG like portfolio assets are structured like that. Quite honestly, I don't remember exactly. Uh, I think it's probably the most, or it seems like it's a really efficient structure, finance structure for some of these assets. It's like a hybrid entity um, that exists in the form of a publicly traded limited partnership combine the tax benefits of a private partnership. Um, so pass through with the liquidity of a publicly traded company. So I don't really have too much of a view on these, but yeah, sorry. Can't be more helpful on that one. I think just make sure like there, there's like, there's a whole nother layer, right? It's going to be quality of assets, ET. Anytime you have an MLP, if I recall correctly, it's going to be a really complicated capital structure. So just, yeah, I would just say be really careful and remember, like, you probably still need a view on the price of oil and natural gas. Okay, let's go to the next one. Do we still have time? Uh, 
would you want to look at a research request? Yeah. So let's, we had one research request from the ROIC portal where we are always talking about stocks throughout the week. It's a lot easier of a, of a, um, of a format. So I'll take a screenshot and, and scratch out the name. Just give me a second. So I'm scratching out the name just to, just in case. Okay. So show my screen. Hey, Justin, I'm liking Olaplex as a lot as an investment, except for one item that I don't really know how to address. They're owned by a PE firm and that that PE firm, according to SEC filings, still has almost 500 million shares. Fully diluted shares is about 690 million. Wow. So that's still most of the company because yeah, they just went public. So owned by private equity, they're taking it public as an and going to sell off shares over time. Um, after the 180-day lockup expires, I'm worried that the PE firm will sell a large portion of those shares for one to two years, driving the price down. Do you have any advice for situations like this where you like the company, but you have this issue slash what would you do in the situation? So I don't think it's that big of an issue. And as someone who has direct exposure or experience in primary and secondary offerings at a big hedge fund that was buying block trades from like the selling private equity sponsor. Uh, the P sponsor, like you, you have to think about this, especially the big guys who have the liquidity to not have to rush to exit, uh, to have exit events. They want the best price on their exit. And they know if they dump the market with too many shares and dump the market, that uh, dump the market price, they're going to kind of screw themselves out of money. Right. So if they dump too many shares in the price of Olaplex, let's look up the latest price. Uh, the price of Olaplex goes from, you know, 27 bucks a share and they jump, dump too many shares on the market. So it tanks to 20 bucks a share. I mean, they lose all that money. They, that's all money that they can't, they would, they're selling at a lower valuation than what the market says, but the market just can't take all the shares they're willing to sell all at one time. So what they usually do is they sell blocks to like investment banks who and market makers who will kind of sell it over time and, or they'll sell big blocks to institutional investors like a Vanguard, et cetera, and they'll trickle secondary offerings over time. So I'm not so worried about that. I know that was always a big thing with SPACs. I'm just never usually worried about that. If you like Olaplex, again, I'm being more disciplined with valuation. If we like Olaplex, as a stock, you like the company, what you're buying for this price, I wouldn't let like short-term market dynamics dictate what you're willing to buy, uh, buy this for. So let's look at Olaplex. Let's just, just to um, kind of refresh our view on valuation. So they're trading for an $18 billion valuation. Ooh, that's still, it's a, it's a very high price. 24 times sales, 37 and a half times EBITDA, but growing like 100% per year. I've been asking a lot of women if they use Olaplex. I think you're on the, I think you're ahead of your time. I think it's not a lot of women use it still. Really? Yeah. That's so funny. I was, well, I was at a friend's house the other day and she was like walking out of her car and she had like, a whole handful of like Olaplex bottles. And I was like, oh, you use Olaplex too? Have you been asking blonde woman or yeah, brunette yeah. woman? Like, like Chrissy's blonde. Like, yeah, like I, 
I don't, I don't know. That's so funny. Maybe it's the, like, my... It's really expensive, too, right? It's expensive. And it is my generation. Like, I don't know if I was telling you that, like, everyone does, like, their Christmas wish lists on TikTok and, like, post what they want. And a lot of girls have, like, Olaplex in their wish list. Yeah, so I I, I guess my, my point is I don't think that the growth is... Like, they fully penetrated all the women that will ever get Olaplex. Like, I think there's a lot of room there because it doesn't seem like... Every woman uses old. Plus, yeah, people you know? are still finding out about it. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah, I don't. Uh, it's expensive. So if you if you think they can keep up that kind of growth, like fifty percent growth plus year over year, I think Olaplex is a really good buy. I just I don't know the product. I think a lot of it will be. I will be asking every woman I meet, especially blonde ones. You said it's like more blondes. Yeah, and this is interesting. Someone in the chat just said, my girlfriend is a cosmetologist and she simply does not stop talking about how important Olaplex is. It's the best. It, I can't, it's crazy. Um, JMK saying my wife uh, doesn't know Olaplex, but she is buying a Peloton. <laughs> Ronnie saying I asked my wife and she said she could see a company coming along and replace it. Uh, Ronnie saying it's the it thing right now. Interesting. Yeah. I'm going to, every blonde woman on the street, we should do that. That'd be a great TikTok. That would be a great TikTok. You and I just go on South Beach and ask every woman, have you heard of Olaplex? Do you use Olaplex? That's a great idea. That'd well, be fun. Oh, oh, I feel like we'd be doing free advertising for them. <laughs> maybe we should, maybe we should do that tomorrow. I don't know. Let's think about it. Um, okay, so that was the question. Guys, if you guys want the full power of, of Roic, we're building a coverage mod structure. Thank you for the coverage mods who are here. Um, and uh, go check out the Roic portal, a couple cents.com, and you can just go to the Roic portal. And we have this whole, like, really cool pay, a really cool, like, system over there uh, where we can post and talk about investing and off topic stuff, too. All right, cool. Uh, we do have more voicemails, but we also have the Roic only stream. Oh, we've been going for 55 minutes. Don't forget to like the video for me. I appreciate you all being here. That's all I asked for. And uh, again, what is there any last things we should talk about maybe from the chat? Got five more minutes. Somebody asked about Vail, and there was a second on that. Like the skiing company? V-A-L-E. Oh, oh, Vale, the, yes. Uh, we Vale. Get, <laughs> we, we get this, I think we get this a lot. It's a mining company, guys, in Brazil. So it's going to cover, it's going to like track, uh, yeah, I, let's skip this one because that, if it's, if it's connected to a commodity, I mean, like we were talking about, um, like Chevron or e ET, then it's going to be very, uh, commodity driven. So iron or iron or pellets. So I don't think I would ever be just, just let's like, this might be a good lesson. I don't think there is a, a space to be a bottoms up. So by bottoms up, you mean you look at the company first and then the macro, and then there's a top down. So you look at the macro and then you find companies within that macro picture. Um, sometimes like I, I, I've been groomed as a bottoms up investor. So my expertise is in corporate and security valuation, like, like even what securities within the cap structure to, to buy. Um, and then like looking at the macro trends and making sure they're okay. 
but really looking at the company only or focusing on the company versus like a, a macro top-down investor like Bridgewater will have views on the on the macroeconomic environment and they'll be very top-down. They'll be like, we really love uh, iron ore and we think iron ore is going to do really well. So let's go, if, if we think iron ore is going to do really well, we should own iron ore miners. So if you are looking at stocks that are very heavily com commodity related. So those are like miners, those are, you know, oil companies, et cetera. I think you need to be a top down. So in that sense, I'll bump you all to like, uh, like Lynn Alden and all other, other creators who do more macro top down research. And the question you'll have to see, see for Vale is, is what do you think happens with iron prices? And steel prices. I think steel is probably the biggest driver. Um, coal, like a lot of different things. Ferrous materials. What do you think happens there? I don't know. So, any other ones? Um, Robin Hood is getting crushed. Will Hood survive? Hood, I've hated the stock since the very beginning. Uh Oh, finally, I feel so justified. Finally, it's down below the IPO price. Do you still own it? Yeah, I don't want to talk about it. Oh, <laughs> you didn't listen to me. You should have sold at the top. I did sell at the top and then I bought it again. You bought it again? Oh, yeah. and then where did you buy it again? Or I oh, you don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it if you don't want to talk about it. I'm sad. I didn't sell at the actual top. Like I, I sold when it was reaching the top and then I was having FOMO and I bought it again. <laughs> oh man, I'm sorry. Well, at least the number one pick on the on the big board made up for it, right? That's true. Yeah. It did. Yeah. I'm loving that one right now. Yeah, yeah. We'll um, talk about that one. But yeah. yeah, so will this survive? Will I be okay? Um... I don't, did they, did they report something? Let me, let me just look at Hood. We'll end with this one, Robin Hood. So Robin Hood, document search, Hood. See if there's any news articles out about it. So New Bank is out today. Robin Hood fizzles after splashy IPO. Doesn't look like there's any news out, right? So general weakness in retail-oriented growth stocks, retail crowded, retail investor crowded growth stocks have been doing really weekly recently. And honestly, I think I like what, what I was always worried about is a huge portion of their revenues, Robinhood's revenues, came from crypto trading and came from options trading and like short-term trading. Uh, and uh, my thesis was as pe as retail investors specifically, like go back to work and, and realize and are not quarantined anymore, they're gonna stop, they're gonna slow that pace. And I've even seen it with the, our finance channels, right? It's like, like people just aren't as interested in actively investing anymore. And so revenue is gonna go down precipitously there and not only that payment for order flow given all the GameStop madness may have more restrictions going forward so uh I really 
Yeah. Okay. So Tate CPA saying users stopped growing quarter over quarter. Um, yeah, I, I don't, I never liked it. And if Roke members have read all my writings about it. I've never liked it. I know it popped and whatever. Uh, so I probably don't like it now. I probably don't like it now. I, I remember what, what it was Robin hood IPO price. So 38. Oh, wow. Okay. So they're way below. They're way below. Will they survive? Yeah, I think they'll survive. I don't think they're, they're still very profitable. I believe even if, if user growth just slows to nothing. So looking at their valuation, right? Even if they just kind of slow to 20% growth or even just 0% growth, um, they are profitable. So will they survive? Yes, they'll survive. But I think you're seeing this market being priced to perfection. And when you're not perfect, you lose whatever, 60% of your value peak to trough. So uh, Tate is asking about Coinbase. If you're a Relic member, just Google Coinbase or sorry, search Coinbase at a and I've written extensively over about it. So I appreciate you all. Relic members, give us like two more minutes. We're going to do a 30 to 45 minute Relic only stream. We can talk about, we have a few more voicemails and we can talk about whatever you want to. So appreciate you all. Don't forget to smash that like button and I will see you later. Have a great weekend. I'll see you on Relic members. I'll see you later, like in two minutes. And I'll see you on Monday. And for the rest of you, have a great weekend. I'll see you next Thursday. Bye.